0: Father, I thank you so much for your love and mercy, and thank you, Lord, for for what you've done, of course, Lord, in, in not only my life, but in our family and the church family. But Lord, we we more than just thank you for what you've done. We want to praise you for who you are. Lord, I'm so grateful that you are El Shaddai, sufficient one. I'm so thankful that you are. Uh, Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals me. I'm so grateful, O oh Lord, that you're my Jehovah Nisi, that you stand in the gap when there seems to be uh, no other way. When when I can't escape from, from what the enemy has laid for me as far as traps are concerned, you stand in the gap. You're the Jehovah Nisi, the banner over me. I'm so grateful, O oh Lord, that you are my Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I am so thankful that you're the Jehovah Shalom. Peace in my life, O oh God. And Lord, that you are lord the, uh, the Jehovah Sid kanu my my salvation righteousness sanctification and righteousness lord i 'm so grateful that your righteousness is in me because my righteousness is is nothing at all it 's filthy rags, but lord i'm so grateful for who you are tonight. I want to give you praise, I want to give you honor, Lord, and hopefully lord that that I can be used this this night, Lord, to be uh, used as a conduit Lord, just a, a, a just a guy in the middle that you can run through so that you can bless souls, Father. I thank you so much for all your goodness and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First of all, I'd like to say thank you to all of you out there for all your many prayers this past year, 2014. You you all know that 2014 was not a good year for me. It was, It was a year... I, I kind of liken it to being in the wilderness, wandering around like the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Twenty fourteen was my wilderness year, and because of all your prayers and, and all the, the the care and, and concern that, that you guys have shown toward us, the, the Lord has been merciful to us. He He's lifted us out. Matter of fact, He's taught me some things, and you know, it's not really fun to get teaching from the Lord sometime. It's hard, but still he teaches, and but it's good in the long run. And so I can say thank you, Lord, thank you for it, but I'm ready to look forward to 2015 as being something brand new and fresh and good, and so uh, I hope you'll go along with me on that. So if you would, turn with me to James, the fifth chapter. And while you're turning there, I'm going to say a few things about this. Most scholars believe that The epistle of James was written by James the Just, is what he's called, uh, the natural born brother of Jesus. Now, surprisingly and yet not so surprisingly, James was not even a believer until Jesus himself presented himself to him after the resurrection. Now that's kind of strange in a way, but in another way it's not, because think about this just for a minute. Jesus was the firstborn in the family, right? So your firstborn brother is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? How are you going to follow those shoes? You know, with the firstborn, a lot of time they you hear the gripe that, well, you know, I always got to live up to what you did. That's, my brother told me this a hundred times. I was the, the oldest son in my family, and, and, you know, he's always saying, you know, you played football, and you played baseball, and, and you made the honor roll, and I always had to follow that, you know, and he, you had to gripe about him. My thought was, okay, that's fine. You know, I did what I did. Now, you do yours. You, you make your own way. But now, if you're James and your older brother is Jesus, how are you going to follow that? You know, but anyway, so he probably, as a matter of fact, there's one particular passage in, in the, one of the Gospels that uh, when, when Jesus went back to his hometown, you remember the scripture said that he did no great thing uh, in his own hometown, you know, because of unbelief there? Well, in that particular passage, if you read real close, James, his brother, told him, "So said, why don't you just go on back with your disciples? Because They believe in what you're doing, and we don't believe it here. So, you know, James was kind of, mm, you know, go on. And, but anyway, he ended up being a believer. As a matter of fact, he ended up being the first bishop of the the newly founded uh, church that Christ established. So we're in James, the fifth chapter. We're going to look at verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The second part of this verse is very important. It says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, on first glance, when I look at this verse, right away I see three separate lessons, you know, and and actually I really see five lessons in this verse that can be taught like on Wednesday night lessons or whatever. And I really had a dilemma this week on, on what I was going to do about this, on whether I was going to try to ex- just kind of condense this down and, and make, you know, three different uh, areas lessons come down into you know a condensed version. But I prayed about it and the Lord said, no, I want you to focus on one word in this verse and one word only. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at one, ver- one word in this verse and we're going to take it apart and examine it and see what we can come up with tonight. And that particular word is in the second line and it's effective. Now, the Greek word here, this used is intergeo, which means to be at work or put forth work or put forth power or to affect something. Now, it reads like this in several different translations. As a matter of fact, who here has something besides a King James or a New King James Version of the Bible? Several different versions here. Trent, can you read that in your version? What, is, what have you got? Oh well just just give me something yeah just anything there that that verse 5:16 Okay the supplication of a righteous man avails availeth much in its working somebody else have a different version a different bible anybody got an NIV read your end of a, NIV. NIV The power, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Is that what it said? Anybody else have any other New, new Living Testament, anything like that? Anything else? Okay. Okay, in each one of these versions that was read aloud... What's the key element in that second part of that verse? The key element, every one of them. Did you pick it out? Power, exactly. That's what we're looking for. Power, you know, that's the thing we're all looking for in our prayers. It's um, every Christian wants their prayers to be powerful and effective. I don't want to pray and feel like, well, that was a waste. How about you? I mean, you know, when we pray, we want to feel like that, that something is, is is affected, something has changed, something is, is being rattled or shaken because that we have an effective prayer life. Now, if your prayers are not as effective as, as you would like them to be, and mine aren't, not, not nearly what I'd like them to be. Now, don't get me wrong, I think God hears me, but still, we all won't. More effective prayers, right? Then then the question is, why aren't they as effective? And that's what we want to look at tonight. Why aren't my prayers, your prayers, more effective than they are? Why aren't they as effective as we desire them to be? Or is it, for that matter, for as effective as God desires them to be for us. So here's what we're going to take a look at tonight. And, and most of us recognize that it's possible. Now let's go back to that, that uh Definition again of the word intergeo. Uh, it says to be at work, put forth power, or to effect. Now, most of us can recognize that it's possible to put forth a lot of work sometimes and not get much uh, effect out of it. And I'll give you a prime example. Um, let's just say that you decide to go to the grocery store, you go outside, and you push your car to the grocery store, you know, that's a lot of work. But it's not really very efficient. It's not very effective. It's a waste of time and a waste of effort. We want what effort we put out to be worth something. I remember one time when I was working at the plant, there was a another guy and I was working together. And we were supposed to put in this pretty good-sized pump, pretty good big pump. And it was just the two of us. So the supervisor, for some unknown, strange reason, decided he's going to come down and, and help us install that, that large pump. And we worked, and we pushed, and we sweated, and, and, you know, it was just, it was bad. We, you know, we fought this thing for about an hour, and it, it's, nothing was happening. It was not going in. It just, I mean, it wouldn't line up. It wouldn't, it wouldn't go in the way that it was supposed to. The tolerances are very close, and it just wasn't working. And after about an hour of just, futile effort, the supervisor decided he was going to go back down to the shop and get another tool that he thought we might need. Now, you have to understand the shop is only about a minute and a half's walk from where we're installing this this pump. That's the most. And at the most, he had maybe another minute or two trying to find the tool that he was looking for. Then another minute and a half back. So you're, you're talking less than five minutes, right? By the time that he had gotten back with the tool that he needed, or that he thought we needed, my working partner and I had got the pump in, stabbed into the hole, and got the bolt started and was tightening, tightening up on it. Now, you might say, well, what's, what's the difference? Because there were two of us there that were familiar with, with the project, familiar with, the, with what we had done before. We knew how to do it. We put forth an hour's worth of futile effort, and he left us for five minutes, and we got the pump in the hole, got it started. It wasn't that he wasn't working hard. It was just the fact that, that he wasn't as familiar with the equipment as we were, and as soon as he left, all the working against each other stopped, and it went right in. Now, that's what can happen. You can, you can put forth a lot of effort. You can stay on your knees, and you can pray night and day, but if you don't know the key to prayer, you can pray you lose your voice you can pray till you get calluses on your knees but it, it's not necessarily long and loud because you know even the lord talked uh, about you know the, the much speaking it's the fact that when we learn how to pray then it can be very effective and be very efficient so david understood that actually uh he his he was uh said in his song of deliverance in Second in Samuel 22 and 33, he said this. Um, he said, God is my strength and power and He makes my way perfect. So David realized that his deliverance didn't depend on his own power, didn't uh, depend on his own strength or the, the, the mighty men of valor that he had around him. It did not depend on them either. David said, God is my strength and power and He makes my way perfect. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew here literally says, it is God who arms me with strength. And so, bottom line is, my strength is of no value at all in getting my prayers answered. It doesn't matter how much effort I put forth. My strength won't do it. My strength won't get the prayers answered. So when we learn how to get real strength and real power in our prayers, we'll, we'll know and understand that it's not our own that's doing it. James, the, chapter 4, verse 2, tells us this. And, and, of course, you have to understand that James, although he, he did not become a believer until uh, Jesus presented himself after the resurrection, you have to understand, he was raised with Jesus, so he knew Jesus is... is uh, His habits. He knew that Jesus got up before daylight. He knew that Jesus talked to the Father all the time. He knew that Jesus' prayers had power. Now, he wasn't a believer that he was the Messiah, but he knew that his prayers had power. And he says this, You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. And yet, you do not have because... Somebody tell me why. You do not ask. So, what he's saying here is, is he's talking to these, the, the, the ones that he's written this epistle to, he's talking to them and he said, you do all sorts of things, you put out all sorts of power, you, you just throw everything out the window and, and you commit all kind of acts to try to make what you want. It says right here, you murder and covet and you still can't obtain what you want. You fight in war and you do not have because you do not ask. So, when we understand that it's God that's moving the mountains on our behalf, then the greatest obstacle to ineffective prayer is removed. Let me say that again. When we understand that God moves the mountains on our behalf, then the greatest obstacle to ineffective prayer has been removed. So the believer's course of action then should be speaking to the mountain, speaking in faith to the mountain. Mark eleven twenty three. Pretty familiar scripture with most of us. It says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Okay. Let's look at this verse. For assuredly I say to you that whoever takes his shovel and pick and starts digging around the base of this mountain, that's not what it says, is it? What what does it say? What do you do to the mountain? Anybody? You speak to the mountain. That's exactly right. You, you know, men can move mountains. Literally move mountains. But it takes a whole lot of men. It takes a lot of equipment. And it takes a very long time. Men can actually move mountains. But that's not effective. That's not powerful. That, that's not efficient. God said that whoever says to this mountain be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever, what? He says. So, the important thing here is to remember that the strength doesn't come within your hand, strength doesn't come in in your muscle power, the strength comes in depending on the Father, depending on the one who can move the mountain with just a, a word. So, which is, brings forth another question. How did God, the, our Heavenly Father, the Creator of all the universe, and how did He create the heaven and the earth? He spoke it. That's right. He said to it, in Genesis, the first chapter, there's 31 verses, I believe it is, in the first chapter of Genesis, nine times the Scripture says, and God said. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said... One of the most important things that he said was in the 26th verse of Genesis 1. He said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let's go back to the first part of that verse. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. How many of you at one time or another thought about God taking the dirt, and, and forming Adam out of the dirt. I did. I mean, you know, that, that kind of, I guess I got that in Sunday school. I don't know. It was been there for as long as I can remember. But that's not scriptural. It says, and God said, let us make man. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't reach down and take a handful of dirt, but let me ask you this. Why would he do that? when He just created the whole world and the lights and the heavens and the earth and the firmament and everything around by saying, and God said. You know, so I tend to think that the creation, all of creation, heavens, earth, everything was created simply by the Word of God, simply by God saying, let it be. And it was. So, if we're created how in the image and the likeness of God, Correct? and we have dominion over all these things in the earth, and we have the ability to speak to mountains and move them, why aren't our prayers as effective as we would like? Now, God said, and there was, and He tells us that we, you know, that we can do the same thing in our prayers, but those things don't come to pass a lot, and so why don't they? Well, I see three reasons why that our prayers are not as effective as they should be. And reason number one would be skepticism uh, or lack of faith. I, I you know, I, it's one of those things where uh, it's going to take faith. Let's, let's just be honest. How many of you have asked your yourself at one time or another? Why should I have to pray for for you know, say for instance, the homeless people out on the streets? Why should I have to pray for them? God sees that that they're out there and He sees their need and He sees that they're hungry and, and He sees that the people over in Somalia are starving to death. God sees all that and God's such a wonderful, loving and compassionate God. You know, why do I have to pray for all that? Why doesn't God just, just reach down and, and, and do something about it? Does anybody know the answer to that question? Because God does not respond to need. Let me say that again. God does not respond to need to need. What does He respond to? I'm sorry? Faith. That's exactly right. God does not respond to need. That's why that when people ask you, well, how does God let all this stuff go on in the world? James said that you have not because you ask not. God responds to faith. Sure, He knows that I needed healing for my cancer. He knows that. He, he, and I was one of his children. I mean, he knows that I've been born again and, and, and he knew that I needed healing for cancer. But just knowing it didn't change God. What moves God is the fact that people got in touch with him and, and prayed in faith and changed the whole... You can change the whole scheme of somebody's life by praying in faith. So... Hebrews 11.6 says, um, well, first of all, let me back up a little bit. If we look a little closer at Mark 11.23, we can find out the key elements of of, of powerful prayer. And can anybody tell me what the key elements in the powerful prayer would be? Just by looking. This is interaction tonight. We're just, we're a small group. We're going to (laughs) interact. There's two things in that in that verse that ought to tell you why, or why not your prayers can be powerful. And I'll tell you what they are. One of them is it says to doubt not, right? And the other one, well, I'm, I'm trying to do use my little tablet here, and I hit a wrong button, so. And the other is is the belief in the in the Lord, believe it, believe in Him, and so you have the uh, the lack of doubt, or you it says doubt not, and then you believe in Him. Now, what's the name for that? Faith, that's lack of doubt, faith and doubt. You know, and and, and you can you can almost put doubt with fear because you you know you, you hear fear and doubt used together all the time, and any any sentence that has doubt in it, you know. 90% of the time it'll have fear and doubt, you know, they go together. But so does faith and, and trust and, and, you know, faith and peace, they, they go together. And uh, I had kind of a little funny, um, I don't know if you could call it a vision or not, but I was praying this morning and I just started laughing because I, I just happened to think, I was thinking about this, this faith and, and in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, Paul was talking about putting on the whole armor of God and he said, above all, above all said, you know, take the shield of faith with which you can can quench the fiery darts of the enemy. And I was thinking that sometimes our faith is so small that we have a shield about the size of a dinner plate, you know. And and it's funny because my mental image was this. Here's the devil shooting his fiery darts at us, and we have a, a shield the size of a dinner plate. And we're doing all this number trying to block all the fiery darts, you know. When in reality, Paul was talking about a shield that covers from head to toe. As a matter of fact, they did training exercises back in those days with those shields where they, they made a wall actually out of their shields. They did one exercise called the tortoise where that a group of the soldiers, the infantry would get together and they used their shields and they would build a complete covering over their whole unit. And they trained this way, by driving a chariot over the unit while they held their shields up. That was to tell them whether or not that they were doing it right or doing it well enough. So, I mean, you know, so here's another pretty good lesson. You can go back and say, well, corporate faith is a whole lot stronger than individual faith. Now, you can stop the fiery darts of the enemy with a big shield that goes from head to toe, but he can run a chariot over if you got the whole you know, the corporate body praying with you and having faith with you, they can run the chariot over and it still won't bother you. I thought that was an interesting uh, example of the way that they train. And Paul was using that. He wasn't talking about a shield the size of a dinner plate. So, Paul was talking about big faith. You know, and so many times we we wonder how big our faith is. And, and, and But the thing is, you're sitting here tonight because you had faith. Because... God gave you faith to start with. Scripture tells us that He he gives everyone a measure of faith. If He didn't do that, nobody could be saved. Nobody could be born again. Because you have to come to Him in faith. You have to believe that He is. And and He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You have to believe, and the only way that you can believe is to have faith, and if you don't have some to start with, how are you ever going to get Him? So He gives us all a measure to begin with. So how do we increase our faith so that we can become without doubt? Well, Romans the 10th chapter, verse 17, tells us faith comes how? comes by hearing and hearing the Word, the Word of God. <clears throat> now, it's interesting to me, this is another thing that I was talking to my brother. He lives in Nebraska. We were on the phone the other day talking about this. And I was talking to him about it. And all of a sudden, something came to me. And, and uh, it was, again, one of those little uh, snippets that I, I think it, that sticks in my mind. And I was thinking that that faith comes by hearing the word. And fear comes by hearing the world. Now, it's almost the same. You just throw a little L in there. And everybody gets a little L in their life every now and then, you know. So we'll let it go at that. So, <laughs> uh, 2014 had a lot of L's in it for me, so. <laughs> but anyway, faith comes by hearing the word, and fear comes from hearing the world. But it's more than hearing with just our, our ears and our mind. That's called head knowledge. But we've, we've got to get beyond that. For our prayers to be effective, we have to, to get beyond just knowing up here, you know, that this is what we have to do. We have to not only hear with our ears, and our mind, but we have to hear it with our spirit and our heart too. You know, your, your, your ears and your mind, uh, to hear it with that, that's necessary, but it's incomplete. So for us to be complete, we've, we've got to hear it in our spirit as well, and, and that is, uh, that's when it becomes revelation knowledge. It's, it's not head knowledge anymore, it's revelation knowledge. In other words, it's been revealed to you, it's real. It's absolutely real. So what God is saying is absolutely real. It's absolutely real that I can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it'll be done. I never will forget in the other sanctuary out there, I had, I had two ruptured discs in the, right in the middle of my back, and it was an accident that I had. And, uh, man, I was in some bad pain. And uh, Randy Miller, uh, the elder of this church, the pastor of the church in Sour Lake, he walked up to me, and, and this was in the middle of the service. On I believe it was on a Sunday night and or Wednesday, Wednesday night. That's when it was, Wednesday night. And he walked up to me, and he said, Brother, you need to speak to that mountain. And my thought was, well, I had been speaking to it. And all of a sudden, it was a revelation popped into my head. No, you haven't. You've been talking at it. You haven't been commanding it at all. And it was just like that God spoke to me, and... and I said, "Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that." And and I started talking, a bit, started speaking into that mountain, started speaking in faith, and you know it, it was uh, an amazing thing. And I was in a lot of pain. And uh, after that night, this thing—I mean, it's just one of those so very occasional. I can't even tell you that, that it's really a problem anymore. It's there. It hadn't changed. I mean, they can look at the MRI and see that I still have the herniated disc, but it doesn't hurt me anymore. It doesn't bother me. Because I began to speak to the mountain. And and it wasn't strength in my body that did it. It wasn't my head that that did it. It was that revelation knowledge that dropped into my spirit that night that said, yes, speak to that mountain. I'll take care of it. I'll move the mountain for you if you'll speak to it. And that's what happened. So... John fifteen seven. How do we get more revelation knowledge? Well, John fifteen seven says, "If you abide in me and my words, that revelation knowledge abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you." Here again, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It's speaking it. Now, how are we going to abide in Him? Well, you know, there's a scripture in in uh, Goodness. Well, there is a scripture that says, "Pray without ceasing." I lost it there for a moment, but uh, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you ca- you can't stay on your knees twenty four hours a day. I know you can't do that. But what you can do is is throughout the day, continually throughout the day. Somebody can find that for me. It's it, it's the first uh, First Thessalonians. That's what it is. Five sixteen, right? Seventeen. I knew it was there. But Anyway, uh, it, you can still abide in him. You can, you can pray all day long, and no matter what you're doing. And I find myself doing that a lot. Uh, it, you know, and, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that when you finally find a place that you're comfortable just speaking to God all day, you know, it, it, makes, it makes a difference. Uh, you know, I go out in the shop, and, and I thank you, Lord, for a beautiful day, you know. And, and it's just it's an ongoing conversation. And listen. If you don't have an ongoing conversation with your spouse or your friends or, or your family, you lose touch. And it's the same way with God. You need to keep an ongoing conversation going on with Him. And it doesn't have to be, you know, sometimes uh, Trish and I can sit side by side and we can look at a sunset or a beautiful day and we don't have to speak any words at all. But that's for a short time. And sometimes you share something with God just by being in His presence, you, and you don't have to talk, you know, and you don't have to do anything but just share His presence. But there's times that you need to be speaking. You need to be speaking your heart. You need to be, you need to be conversing. It's a relationship. So, if we abide in Him, and He abides in us, then you can ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. The second reason that I see, the first reason was skepticism. The second reason that I see that our prayers are not very effective is selfishness. We'll go back to James again, the fourth chapter, verse 3. We talked about, we we read verse 2. Now this is verse 3, the very next verse. It says, you ask and do not receive. No, wait a minute. Verse 2 says you have not because you ask not. And then verse 3 says, you ask and you do not receive. What's the deal here? Well, let's go and read a little further. It says, because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, about 30 years ago, maybe even a little more than that, uh, there was a, some folks began to explore some, some not really talked about truths in the Scripture, about the spiritual blessings of Abraham and and how that God, you know, would just pour out the blessings of Abraham on all born-again believers. And, and, there was a lot of excitement over that. People got all excited about the fact that you know they read all the blessings in Deuteronomy and and you know how that God would pour them out on the the the, the church and, and he will he will, but over a period of time, that teaching evolved into something that was selfish, and you know what I'm talking about. It, it's the old name it and claim it. Now I, I I believe that you name things and you can claim things, but it has to be in the with the with the permission of God, and, and you know you don't. I, I don't think you order God around. I mean, you know, and I'd be afraid to try it. But, and, and I know that we have claimed things, Trish and I together have claimed things in our life and, and seen it come to pass. But I also know that, that your motives have to be in the right place. But, you know, there's been a lot of teaching come along since then that says, well, you know, if you want a new car or or you want a new house, or hey, if, even if you want a million dollars, all you got to do is name it in the name, uh, and claim it in the name of Jesus and He'll give it to you. Well, i got news for you. God the Father is not going to move heaven and earth to make you wealthy if your motive is just to be a fat cat. It's not going to happen. Now, you might get wealthy, but it won't be because God just poured it out on you because you claimed it. But if your motive is this, if your motive is to be financially secure so that you can... Give more to the kingdom. If you can support ministries, if you can reach out to folks that, that are desperately in need, then I, God has no problem with you being wealthy at all. None whatsoever. As a matter of fact, He'll become mighty on your behalf in the bringing of finance into your life if that's your motive. Now, in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 19. You know, I've had people say, well, what about this verse that says, my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. Supply all your need. Well, number one, your need, yes. And number two, Paul was talking to the Philippians and thanking them and commending them for an offering that they had given him in order to keep him out there presenting the gospel to new people. And in uh, the people in Philippi, a lot of those people had given... Uh, great amounts, and some of them had given sacrificially. And and what Paul was saying is, is, okay, I know that some of you have given sacrificially. I know that this has cost you a lot, but, but don't despair because my God will supply all of your need according to His riches in glory. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, God has never left me high and dry when I've given. Never. You know, I've, I've spent years up here in front of people telling... Uh, about uh, giving and, and now Trent's stepping in and doing the same thing. And, and, and we've been in situations many times where it didn't look logical to give some of the, the offerings that we gave. It just wasn't logical. But logic has nothing to do with God's blessing. You'll never outgive Him. You won't even get close to it. If you depend on Him and trust Him and in faith, in faith depend on Him and you're not selfish... Now, God wants us to be financially secure in order that we can advance the kingdom, not to satisfy our own wants and whims. And if we want God to supply all of our needs, then we've got to pray in accordance to the will of God. Well, how can I know that I'm praying the will of God? First of all, let me say what it's not. It's not that half-hearted, non-committed, condition that we sometimes find ourselves in where, you know, we don't quite know how to pray. And so what we do is say, well, God, your will be done. Okay, I'm done and and walk away from it. That's not praying God's will. But As a matter of fact, let me give you this example. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? He prayed God's will all right, but he prayed three times before that and very fervently, I might add. As a matter of fact, the Scripture said that his sweat became as great drops of blood. He was in, he was in angu- anguish and torment. He was praying fervently. You can fervently have a, a, you know, a, a passion. You can have a, a passion towards something, but the key is being willing. You can be passionate and still do the will of God by saying, Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's what Jesus did. He certainly didn't want the will of God to be him going to the cross. He knew what was going to take place. He knew what was going to happen. And yet at the same time, he was very passionate about it too. But at the same time, he was willing to do what God wanted. And thank God he did because because he submitted, now we're set free from an unpayable debt. Think about that. I, you know, I've thought about that. I couldn't pay that debt. Neither could you. No way we could ever pay it. But he did that because he was willing. There was uh, also Abraham who was willing to sacrifice his own son Isaac. He was passionate about Isaac. Isaac was the son he'd been waiting for all of his adult life. He was the son that was going to be the heir to everything that Abraham had. He was, it was the completing of a, of a promise. And yet God called for the for the sacrifice. Now, when Abraham got to the point that it was done in his head, it was done in his heart and done in his spirit, then God said, but you don't have to do it in the physical now. And, and that's the key to being willing. So if we pray according to God's will, nothing will be withheld from us. 1 John five fourteen and 15 says this. Now, this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. And we should also keep in mind that, that God's will for us is always going to be good. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, very familiar with people around here. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's always going to be good for you. He, he wants the best for His children. James one seventeen says, Every good gift and perfect gift comes from, uh, is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning. So we've got skepticism. We've got selfishness. And the third reason, I believe, is something that we really you can't really control and that's spiritual warfare. And the reason I say that is if you'll read in Daniel the tenth chapter, Daniel had uh he was he was praying and he had was expecting an answer from God. And it, if you read that chapter, it said he didn't eat any any meat, he didn't have any 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 seasoning at all. I mean, he was on a fast just like we're doing right now. As a matter of fact, that's where your 21-day fast kind of comes from, is this the Daniel fast, you know. And so anyway, he's praying. And and, uh, at the same time, unbeknownst to him, there's a battle going on. And when uh, Michael, I mean, when uh, Gabriel finally got to him and said, Daniel, your prayer was heard from the first day. It was heard from the very first day. But I couldn't get here because there was a spiritual war going on and he, it was the Prince of Persia the, uh, that he was battling against and, and there's a lot of scholars believe that that was actually the devil himself, that Satan, Lucifer, whatever uh, name you might want to give to him there, that he was actually in battle with him and some of his cohorts, by the way. And finally, Gabriel said that I wasn't able to prevail on him until Michael comes along, another archangel, and Michael joins in the battle and so there, uh, you know, there was enough... Uh, between the two of us that I could come here and answer your prayer. But your prayer was heard the first day. I just have trouble getting here with the answer. And a lot of times when we pray, our prayers are heard the very first day. But the Scripture tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and evil in high places. You know, it, it's, we're, we're in a spiritual battle every day. It may not seem like it to you, but there's a spiritual battle going on every day and we're right in the middle of it, right in the heart of it. So, I thought it was interesting in reading that chapter in, in uh, the 10th chapter of Daniel that whenever he, as Gabriel got through telling Daniel what he had to tell him, he said, now I've got to go back and help Michael. He can finish off this battle. I, you know, it was kind of, uh, I thought that was unique. I'd never noticed that before, but he said, no, I've got to go back and we can finish the fight, you know. But uh, read that chapter, it's good. So, in... In conclusion, and I know this is a lot of scripture tonight. That's the reason I've passed out these little little notes here. I'd, I'd rather you have it in your hand where you can go home and read it for yourself. In conclusion, these three reasons for our prayers not being effective are skepticism, selfishness, and spiritual conflicts. Now, the spiritual conflict is not something that you're going to be able to to control. You know, you can give your you, you can Uh, Allow yourself to be more faithful. You can get more faith by abiding in the word. You know, you you can do all the things you need to do. But sometimes, having said all of this, sometimes you just have to wait. You know, because the answer is going to be uh, a little delayed in coming. Not because you've done something wrong, just because there's things going on in the spiritual realm. Now, number one, you can't intimidate, threaten, or bargain with God, He's still sovereign. You just love Him and obey Him. And sometimes He says yes. And sometimes He says no. You know, how many, times, how many of you have ever prayed for something that God said no? I have. Because God knew best. And, and you know what? I'm so thankful that He knows better than me what I, what I need. And then sometimes He just, you just have to wait just a little bit where, you know, it's not the right timing. So if you want your prayers to be effective then I'd like for you to take these scriptures that we've talked about tonight go home abide in the word let him abide in you become more faithful by hearing the word and then speak don't try to, don't try to use your muscles to change what's going on around you it's not going to work let God do the moving for you because he, he wants to be the one he'll give you the power through the Word. God spoke it into existence. He said we're made in His likeness and His image so we can speak it as well as He can. But you've got to have faith, though. So I thank you very much for coming tonight. What we want to do before we close is we want to pray for all of these names that are pinned here on this cross. And before we do that, I want us to spend just a moment Asking God to increase our faith, to let our faith arise. And when our faith arises, we're going to speak to things on this, on this cross. And I believe with all of my heart, I've been, I've been uh, praying over this, this list uh, since Sunday before last. I believe that lives are going to change because of it. So if you would I'd like you to stand with me.